you wish you could borrow or wish you could own. And um, I think that your pastor is, if he could figure out how to bottle and sell that smile, um, he could be more wealthy than any of us, probably all of us put together. And uh, bless you, you can be seated. It's good to be here. It's good to be in, in Hamilton. And uh, it's good to be with Brother and Sister Wyatt. And um, he and I have worked together a lot. And uh, and that's been a, a wonderful thing. Um, it, I, I, spent, I spent 11 years, I guess, of my life, uh, 12 years perhaps, uh, invested almost fully in in what I came to term baby churches. And uh, there, there is no church that starts full grown. They all start as babies. And, um, and there's all the unique things that are part of, of um, having natural babies. There's growing pains and there's some of the messiness of, of babyhood. It's good to be here. I'm not invested in that to the degree I was. I guess I'm still invested, but uh, I don't, I'm not in a new church every weekend uh, as I was for those years. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be in your baby church, but, um, but it won't always be a baby and um, you'll grow, but now it's going to grow depending on you. So I'm going to, I'm going to just uh, backslide into my former life for a moment, of being the general director of North American Missions, and I'm going to talk to you in a way he can't. All right? And uh, it's good to have a man of God. It's good to have a pastor. It's good to have a shepherd. And uh, since I have been back pastoring, the Lord has talked with me quite a bit about what it is to be a shepherd and what those responsibilities look like. It's great to have a shepherd in your life. But great churches are not the product of a single individual, ever. He cannot do this thing by himself. And this needs to be, if this is your church, and if he is your pastor, that means he would preach your funeral if you died this week. You need to invest yourself fully. And, and here's the difference. You see, uh, when, when, um, when you visit a church, if you see paper on the floor, you look at it and you say, well, somebody ought to pick that up. But if it's your church, you see something that needs to be done, whether it's paper on the floor or vacuuming, or, and you, you pick it up. You pick it up. So is this your church, or are you just visiting? That's, that's what it amounts to. What degree are you a participant in the future of this church? I look forward to, um, I look forward to returning at some point when you have stepped into a new building. You're quickly going to outgrow this. Matter of fact, uh, you're, you're there now. You're there now. The law of growth is that uh, a, a group of people... Uh, will reach 80% of capacity, and then it becomes uh, uncomfortable space-wise. It's, it's hard to grow beyond that, and you're, you're about there today. And so uh, give, participate, uh, give of your tithe, give of your offering, and help the church be positioned to, to buy. You're going to need space. Do you want your family to be saved? Do you want your neighbors to be saved? Do you want the community around you to be reached with the gospel? Well, it can't, it can't happen if you limit the space that you can put new people in. And uh, just think about what it would be like in this room today if, uh, if three weeks or a month from now or six weeks you had what is called commonly a friend day with the goal being that every single one of you would bring just one friend to church. There wouldn't be room for everybody that would come that day. Well, that's where you're at. You've got to get yourself mentally ready and spiritually ready and financially ready for the future. Amen? 
And uh, so I, I'm glad to be here, and I'll I'll get on to other stuff in a little bit. But let me let me honor and say to you because you won't know this unless I say it to you. Uh, but but brother brother Wyatt has is a incredible asset, not just to you as a shepherd, but uh, six years ago. Uh, he came on as the elected uh, director of what was then called Home Missions in the United Pentecostal Church, and subsequently named that changed the name to North American Missions. And um, I, I had served that group as their general director for a number of years, and and if I can just be blunt, uh, Metro New Jersey have been a problem child. As I think in the previous five years, there had been five different directors, none of whom who did much. Matter of fact, some of them I never even met. They never made it to a single meeting that we paid for them to come to. And uh, Brother Wyatt was elected, and that was a different deal. He came in, and he took hold of what we were all about, which was planting and establishing new churches. And uh, he became an influencer on our board of directors, which is made of, of, which was made of 60, 70 guys from all over North America sitting in one room together. He became an influencer with that group and, and has continued that and, and is an influencer here in this district as well. Now you won't you won't see that too much. Some of you will, but many of you won't see that. But I won't I'm seeing that to get around to this that that you are led by a fellow who is who is a man of influence. You're you're led by a man who is a visionary. You're led by a fellow who is hard working and um, and he has your interest at heart, and he has the work of God at heart. And I I, I value that. I value that greatly because um, mentally, uh, probably in the eleven years that I was in that role, I probably had oh a hundred to a hundred and fifty different people serve in roles of leadership, and I I mentally. Unfortunately, where you may not be geared up this way, but unfortunately, I'm geared up where that I kind of keep a mental list going of best and worst. And unfortunately, I have a list of worst. I, I uh, of, of now that that fellow, you know, he is one of our directors, but that wasn't a good experience. But uh, I, I have the list of the other, and I'm thankful for the best and. Brother Wyatt would be on that side of the equation, and I, I'm, I'm very appreciative. And so you're thinking right now, well, this is just a mutual admiration society, and I wish I was at McDonald's. But, but uh, we'll get past all of that in just a minute. Glad my wife is here, and uh, we love New England. We love the Northeast. We love this part of the country. I, 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 I just, I just enjoy it. Um, several of the books that my friend mentioned are in the back, and, and there, there are really several of those that are, uh, most of my writing, I guess, have been toward preachers. But uh, the, the, he mentioned the book, If Everybody Here Were Just Like Me. There's a subtitle to that. If everybody here were just like me, what kind of church would this church be? Well, you answer that for yourself. If everybody here were just like me, what kind of church would this church be? Uh, I pastored people who, man, they could do all kind of gyrations and praise for Jesus. But um, if we had depended on, on their giving and if everybody gave like them, we'd have been having church in the dark. Hallelujah. So if everybody gave like you, well, come on, step it up now. 
Hallelujah. Be a good example. Be a good example in prayer. Be a good example in praise. Be a good example in worship. But there's not many of those back there. I'll mention uh, the website. It's carltoncoonseniorjustsr.com. I do quite a bit of blog posting. My next uh, writing project will have to do with coming out of the darkness of depression and a uh, very real issue that I think we need to address and talk about. Also, Twitter and Facebook friendly, and uh, I don't know that friendly is the right word, but it's there anyway. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the trumpet and saxophone. And so uh, those of you who played that stuff, uh, you can fly to Missouri, move, and, and, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm recruiting. I'm on a recruiting trip here. Uh, and, uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Hallelujah. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. I want to read a verse of Scripture, and uh, I'm going to preach about Jesus. And I hope that's not a surprise to you. But um, I'm going to to just try to talk with you about something that I think He would like to do in your life. Now, if you heard me preach yesterday, I was... Loud, verbose, sweated, and stomped, and all of that. I don't know that I'll do that today. I want to be sure that I communicate with you. And uh, I, I want to read Psalm 14 and verse 7 of that psalm. And uh, if you're here today, and how could you not have enjoyed the service in every way. But now, if you're here and you enjoyed all of that, and you get through at the end of the day, and you say, boy, I really enjoyed that service, but uh, I didn't much like that preaching. Well, I won't be back next week. So you come on back, and pastor will be preaching, and it'll be better. Praise the Lord. The Firehouse Church. That's a great video. I like that. Psalm 14, 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of His people. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. The Lord... Bringeth back. Everybody say, bringeth back. The Lord bringeth back the captivity of His people. Look at somebody who's sitting close to you and make that statement. The Lord bringeth back the captivity of His people. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus I'm going to talk about tonight. The Jesus who bringeth back the captivity of His people. Hallelujah. Anybody here know what bondage is? Anybody here know what stress is? Anybody here know what the pressures of life are? The Lord who bringeth back the captivity of His people. Now, the 14th Psalm is a unique psalm. There's, there's none exactly like in all, of the, in all of the psalms. And one of the things that makes it unique is that the content of Psalm 14 is basically repeated almost word for word in the 53rd Psalm. There is no other psalm that has such repetition In two different places. And then in the New Testament, whenever Paul writes to the Roman church, he quotes roughly from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 in verses 10 through 12 of the third chapter of the epistle that he writes to them. Anything that God repeats. He repeats with intent. There is no accident 
in the process of God. There is no, well, I wonder why this is back here. It is back there by divine purpose. And there is a message constrained and contained within the Psalms that the Lord wants to make sure that he gets out to someone. And that is that he is a God who brings people out of captivity. And not only is he a God that brings people out of captivity, but he is a God that brings people back out of captivity. It's an unfortunate reality that we can be free, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And then through unfortunate choices and decisions, we can enter right back into the captivity that God brought us out of. But He is the God who brings us back out of captivity. Now, the title of these Psalms, uh, when you read about them, one of the subtexts of the, of the, of the title of the Psalms is that includes the idea of someone who is diseased or is someone who is very, very sick or has disease in their body. And the idea that is being portrayed in all of this is that the Lord will set you free and the Lord will heal you and the Lord will bring you out and He will restore you and He will put you in a right place. Now, I want to do this uh, a little different, and I'm going to just make myself at home. I want us to read the entire 14th Psalm together. And I do this by intent. Because as we read, I want us to be thinking about the backdrop that is going to come in the last verse that we will read, the seventh verse. And that is that the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. I want you to very specifically think about who it is that the Lord brings back. That the people that we are going to be reading about, they're not foreigners. These are not Syrians. These are not people who were Gentiles that had no knowledge of God. But these were people who were trained. These were people who had life experience in going to the temple and in worshiping Jehovah God. These were the traits of people who should have known better. Think about that. And I want you to see who it is that the Lord brings back. Okay, so read aloud with me. Psalm 14, we'll pick up at the first verse. Read with me. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear. For God is in the generation of the righteous. You have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Hallelujah. Whenever you begin to think about who God brings back, Praise the Lord. You may be sitting in here today and you may say, you know what, I'm not sure God would have any interest in me. But when you begin to look at the litany of failure that is expressed in the six verses that begin Psalm 14, somewhere you find yourself in there and you begin to discover and imagine the possibilities that God can bring me back. Amen. Praise the Lord. Consider the traits of the people who God brings back. Some say there is no God. And the Lord brings them back. Some are corrupt. They're lacking in integrity. And the Lord brings them back. Some have done abominable works. And the Lord has brought them back. 
There are those who do no good, and the Lord has brought them back. There are some who are gone aside, and the Lord has brought them back. There are those who have become filthy, and the Lord has brought them back. There are those who work iniquity, and the Lord has brought them back. Praise God. There are those who devour each other, and the Lord has brought them back. There are those who have no prayer meeting. They call not upon God, but oh, He is a God who brings them back. Hallelujah. Do you understand the grandness of God's opportunity that He is a God who brings back? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know, if you were to look at two of the phrases that are represented there, He brings back those who have gone aside. The Hebrew word that is translated gone aside is used in some other places in Hebrew literature to convey something that has gone sour, like ruined milk. It has a bit of bitterness to it. It has a taint to it. If we could put it this way, they're all gone sour. And the Lord has brought them back. The phrase, they have become filthy. Again, the Hebrew would say it this way. They have become stinking. And the Lord has brought them back. You see, the thing that we forget about our God is that He is a God who does what He does in spite of, rather than because of. Your integrity cannot save you. Your honesty cannot save you. You not being bitter can't save you. You not being a stench can't save you. But I'm telling you, that the grandness of His mercy and the provision of His grace, because the Lord brings back the captive. He brings back the ones that are out there opposed and not experiencing liberty. Captivity is a contrast to liberty. And what he is describing here with the phrase he bringeth back is that the people he is referring to are people who once knew liberty. They once knew what it was, if I could put it this way, to praise the Lord with liberty. They once knew what it was to to recognize that I've got a right to praise the Lord. They knew what it was to have prayer in their lives. And they knew what it was to worship and to seek the Lord. Not on the basis of, uh, of, well, I've got merit, but instead they sought the Lord with gladness simply because that was what He invited them to do. But now because of choices and decisions of some of you who sit in this place on this Sunday... There is a bondage in your life and you no longer feel the liberty that you once felt. And you kneel to pray, but you don't feel that there is that essential paving of the path of privilege that you could call upon the name of the Lord. Instead, you have to struggle through your weariness and you have to struggle through your failure and your worship is somehow something that is constrained and restricted. But you need to hear this guest in your pulpit on this Sunday morning to tell you that He is the God who will bring you back to where your praise is again free, to where your worship is again with liberty, and where that your prayer is declared with, hey, let me give you, O God, my petition, because I have a right to be here. You've invited me to so pray. Hallelujah. Today, you feel no such liberty. You remember what it was. You can testify of what it was. But as others around you on this Sunday have worshipped Jesus, have others around you have exalted Him, you've, you've just kind of gone through the motions. You really didn't feel the feel. You didn't have the vibe for it. It's because that you have gone from the liberty you once had to the captivity of the present. But the Lord Jesus 
Jesus will bring you back out of that captivity and he will bring you to glorious liberty once again. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. The unfortunate truth, and somebody needs to hear it today, is that bondage doesn't happen on our terms. When you become the bond servant of your flesh, when you become the bond servant of the value systems of the world that surrounds us, that bondage will take you to far places distant from what you ever imagined. You're buying a ticket for a destination that is undetermined. Hallelujah. Before you get too far on that journey to a destination that you don't know where it ends. Why don't you say, wait a minute, God. I'm not addicted now and I'm not in deep bondage, but I'm already far enough away from you. But I don't feel the liberty of my praise. And I don't feel the anointing on my prayer. And so God, before I get far on this train ride to an uncertain future, God, I'm calling on you. If you're the God who brings back, would you just now begin to speak into my world and would you begin to bring me back from where I'm at. Hallelujah. He is the Lord who brings back. It's interesting the phraseology that the psalmist uses. And again, it's not just there once, twice. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. The Lord bringeth back. The Lord bringeth back. The Lord bringeth back. He's not sitting idly. Waiting on your return. The way it's expressed. He is an active participant in the bringing back. He is seeking you even when you hope to not yet be found. He's the God who bringeth back. If your return were dependent on your own strength, your intellect, or your ability, you'd never make it back. But it's not the strength of your ability. Instead, it's the certainty of His mercy that He looks at you with compassion. That's what mercy is. It's compassion. Hallelujah. He doesn't look at you on your merit. He doesn't look at you on your goodness. He looks at you with the in spite of. Hallelujah. And He feels for you. And He feels empathy for you. And He is, He's there. It's sensed in Him. But it's not just mercy. It's that second significant word of the New Testament church. And it's that word grace. It is the unmerited faith. I don't deserve to be brought back. You don't deserve to be brought back. But it's in the grandness of the grace of God that He brings us back. And it goes back to the that theme in spite of. It's not because of who you are and your education and your ability and what your last name is and what your capabilities and your talents are. But He sees where you are. And you say, Preacher, you don't know my sin. I do know this, that where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. It's part of the story of His bringing you back. He takes action. Some of you, you come to church, but you come and you don't feel much very often. But in the name of Jesus, on this Sunday morning, let it be that people, that it's been a while since there was a rumbling of conviction in your spirit, that something gets hold of you and you begin to feel uncomfortable on a Sunday in this apostolic church. And you begin to say, wait a minute, that preacher's talking to me. I'm not in the will of God with my life. My life is not hidden in the direction that it needs to go. And I'm making decisions that are going to lead me to certain ruin. 
the Lord who bringeth back. Luke 15 has profound parables of lost and found. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, waits on the sheep to come home? No. He does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness. And he goes after. I like that. He goes after. He goes after. The lamb may not want to be found. The sheep may be content to go further. It may not understand the uncertainty of what tomorrow holds and that there is the lurking lion and the wolf. It may not know that there's a poison plant that's just over the hill somewhere. It may be very content. But while that lamb and that sheep is out there doing its own thing, the shepherd goes after that which is lost until he finds. The Lord who bringeth back, and when he hath found it, he puts it on his shoulder. Hallelujah. Reach over and take the hand of somebody close by you right now, and let's pray. God, you know what you're talking to us about, and you know what you're saying in this room. And God, you know where. You know where the target is today. You know where the target is today. And God, don't let us move past the moment in the Holy Ghost. God, find us. God, find us. Ma'am, you need to let Jesus find you. You need to stop running. The best life you'll ever have is living for Jesus. The best life you'll ever have is submitting your life to Him. Yielding. Hallelujah. Entering back into the rejoicing. Entering back into the joy. Entering back into the celebration of His divine provision. He brings you back. Hallelujah. The second story is of the woman who loses one of the coins. And when she loses it, she lights a candle and she sweeps the house and she seeks diligently until she finds it. She doesn't just seek, but she seeks diligently. Until she found it. Oh, but you gave it your best shot. The Lord who brings back is not in the best shot business. Hallelujah. If you're going to be lost, it's going to be because in spite of all of His sweeping, and in spite of all of the illumination, and in spite of all of the effort granted, that you're going to run in the opposite direction. Hallelujah. He's the God who brings back. And He wants to bring you Day. The fellow who brings back the sheep that went astray and the woman who brings her lost coin before her neighbors, neither of them comes with the story of loss. Neither of them come. So let me tell you how bad it was. The shepherd doesn't come. So look, look here what happened. To this crazy critter while he was out. Look at, look at what the thorns did to him. Look, look at where the wolf that was about to take him under bit him just before I got there. Look at, look at the poison plant dangling from his jaw. The woman who finds the coin, she doesn't talk about the dusty place at which she finds that which was lost. Instead, they just come and they call together their friends and their neighbors. They call together the church. They call together the body. Hallelujah. And here's what they say. They say, Rejoice with me. I have found what was lost. Hallelujah. 
the Lord has no intent to recriminate and to expose the ugliness of your failure. His greatest ambition is to restore you from the place where you are today. Praise God. But preacher, there are folks who know me and they know my story. You are not hearing me. It's not just the shepherd and the woman who will rejoice. It isn't them rejoicing in a solo saying, hey, but instead it is the invitation to the neighbor and to the friends and saying, come on now and rejoice with me for that which was lost has been found. There's not anybody in this room who's going to look at you and say how dumb that was. But instead, if you come back to God in repentance on this Sunday morning, every person that's in this room is part of this church body. Is it going to be holding up a list of yesterday's failures? But instead, they're going to get their tambourine in hand and they're going to get the dance in their feet and there's going to be rejoicing and celebration because that which was lost has been found. He is the God who brings it back. Well, I intended to behave. Hallelujah. How often He uses different means to bring us back. The dear lady of Israel had left her home, her husband, her sons had gone with her, famine in their land, tough times, and so they journeyed to Moab. In Moab... It seemed that things were better. And so it always seems. But in a matter of time in Moab, the dear lady's husband died. She fell upon her sons and became dependent upon their provision. In a shorter order of time, her sons, Malon and Chilion, they both died. And suddenly, the woman who was bereft back in Bethlehem, Judah, and who had little there because of famine, finds herself again bereft, but now she has none to look toward. And somewhere in the midst of her empty, she heard the whispering invitation. Of the Lord who brings back. Famine's over. Bethlehem, Judah is where you belong. And she gathered her daughters-in-law around her and said, I'm going home. I don't know that the outcome would be the same if her husband, Elimelech, and her sons, Malon and Chilion, would have continued to live and do well. But under the pressure, the stresses of life, I'm going home. She comes walking down that road. Some of her peers see her. People that have known her. People that perhaps were of her family and acquaintance. Bethlehem was a little village. They see her and... When they get near to her, they they say, Here she is! Naomi! It's Naomi. And Naomi says, No. That's what it was. That's what it was. But from this day forward, you don't call me that. The word Naomi means pleasant. You don't call me that. You call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. I left this village full 
the Lord has brought me home empty. The unspoken subtext is still, but I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. Don't call me Naomi. Pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. But it's an interesting observation from the book of Ruth. The word Mara never again appears in the book of Ruth. It is only Naomi's self-declaration. It is only her self-identity. But the community that envelops her and welcomes her and surrounds her, they never one time label her by that which she labeled herself. Hallelujah. He will bring you back to bread and praise. And the people around you don't see you as you see your failure. But instead, they see you just as they see themselves. They see themselves through the filter of grace. They see themselves through the provision of a God who cared for us. Not on the basis of our merit. Not on the basis of our goodness. But He cared for us in spite Simon Peter dismally failed Jesus. He denied the Lord three times. When the Lord turned and looked at him, he went and he wept bitterly. And after the resurrection, while others might would have said, man, you need to do the same thing with that guy Simon Peter that you're going to have to do with Judas. You need to see if you can't get some better staff members than that. But when Jesus saw some of his followers by the seashore, he said to them, Go tell my disciples and Peter. Hallelujah. He intentionally brings back. So here's where you're at. You're away from promise. And you're away from praise. And you're away from blessing. And you're in a land of doubt and sin and ruin and foolish folly is dragging you further and further into a swamp of despair. But if you will hear me, He is the Lord who bringeth back. And what's the outcome? When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice. Those who were gone, they shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. You may have decided that there will never be another day of God joy in your life. That's a lie of Satan. Hallelujah. You may feel like there will never be a smile when a preacher preaches anything again that comes across your face because you feel so disconnected from the provision and the promise of God. That's a lie of Satan and it's a lie of hell. Because when the Lord brings you back, He brings you back to rejoicing. And He brings you back to joy. And He brings you back to gladness. Get your dancing shoes on and get your clap together. And get your leaping for joy ready. Hallelujah. Because when the Lord brings you back, He doesn't bring you back to probation. He doesn't bring you back to parole you for a while, but He brings you back to give you peace. And He brings you back to give you joy. Amen! Hallelujah. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. He's not bringing back the pristine. This is not Searching through antique stores to find that one remarkable piece of furniture that has been overlooked. That's worth tens of thousands of dollars and it's in pristine condition. He brings back the damaged and the broken. The troubled. The angry and the despairing. I read the story of, of a preacher. It's a man of God. Used of God and... Remarkable ways to speak into his community. And somehow, through adventure or misadventure, he falls in love with a prostitute. 
in the time when it occurred, prostitution was slavery. And in order to ever have her as part of his life, and to help her escape from that old life, he had to buy her. Not just her services for an evening or a week. He had to buy her at high price. And so he does exactly that. Buys her from her bondage and he marries her and they, they have children. I don't know what stresses, I don't know what enticement, I don't know what boredom. I don't know what there may have been. But in time, the woman who Hosea married begins to struggle with the quietness of home life. And without anybody buying her from Hosea, she just goes back to that old life of prostitution. Just think about that. There's a woman that, through marvelous provision, has been brought back through what is certainly a dismal and uncertain circumstance. She's been brought out of that. And then, for whatever rationale she could imagine, and I can't, but for whatever reason, she went back to that. No demands were made, no requirements for her to go back. Nobody paid a price to bring her back. She chose. And in the process of time, the Lord says to that man, Hosea, go buy her yet again. The Lord who Bringeth back. Oh, God. That old life has become wearisome to her. I know you paid for her once, but go do it again. Because you're to bring her back. The meanness and the violence of the life that she's in now has lost its attraction. Buy her yet again and bring her back from that which is now her lot. In life. Just reach out across there again. And I preach to several people in this room. And I want you to take the hand of somebody beside you. And I want you to pray for that person. As though they are the one. Who needs to be brought back. Oh God. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus, oh God, you see that lady, God, that gentleman, God, that life is just going in a wrong direction. Jesus, you're reaching for them as the God who brings them back on this Sunday. You're the God who brings back today. God, you won't leave any in their place and condition and circumstance without intervention. You won't leave any that are in this house, God, without reaching to them to attain them and to bring them from the despair and the emptiness and the pain and the angst and the bitterness and the ruin of their life, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Huh? Somebody get a hold of God for this room. Come on. Come on, some of you prayer warriors, some of you mothers in Israel. Lift your voice now like you did as this service was beginning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it right there, my God. We need a divine visitation. We need an inspiration of God. We need an impartation of the Almighty. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You thought you were beyond His help and beyond His hope and beyond His interest in you. There's nothing further from the truth. You're not too young, too old. Your life's not too ugly. It's not too bitter. It's not too sour. It's not too ruined. No, 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 no. He is the God who will bring you back from the filth and the degradation that has become your life.
in the name of Jesus, receive it now. Uh, yes, God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know what the protocol of the normal is, and I recognize we have limited space. But if, if whoever does this, if you'll just get us a little background music, we're fixing to have altar. And the greatest thing that happens in church happens at the altar. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do in a minute. I'm going to ask you to invite someone who is standing beside you who you know that they need something from God. The Bible says, and I realize I use it out of context, but it won't be the worst misuse there's ever been. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Holy Ghost is working. And now the bride is going to extend an invitation to. If you're standing beside someone who is away from God, maybe backslidden, they may have never known what it is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd like for you just to casually, I don't want anybody to be forced. But I'd like for you to invite them to this altar with you today. And the Lord who bringeth back is reaching into this room right now. And He's inviting even as this church body begins to turn and invite others. We don't have a lot of room, so we're going to need to push in just as close as we can today. And here they come from all over this house. And there's some others of you who need to come today. The Lord who bringeth back. The Lord who bringeth back. And now would you just begin to open your hearts up. Hallelujah. And would you let the Holy Ghost move across this room in a very unique and special way.